Coaching baseball, which involves athletes constantly failing, a variety of different positions, and a lengthy season is no small task. Facilitating motivation, team cohesion, building confidence in players during high pressure moments, and having a strong ability to be aware of your situation and adapt, you won't be successful in this position without a strong mental game. Welcome to the Sports Psychology Of. I'm Gabe Zellico. Today, we're breaking down the sports psychology of coaching baseball. I'm excited to welcome Scott Lafferty, who entered his 11th season as head coach at Chapman University in 2023-2024. Scott reached the pinnacle of Division III baseball when he led the Panthers to the 2019 NCAA Division III National Championship. On the way to the title, the Panthers set the school record with 44 wins and the NCAA Division III record with 524 strikeouts. Scott was named D3Baseball.com and ABCA Division III Coach of the Year, as well as the West Region Coach of the Year and the SCIAC Coach of the Year, following that 2019 title run. Whether you're a coach for a different sport or an athlete, you'll hear plenty of quality sports psychology takeaways to implement into your coaching or training. Before we get to the conversation, if you're interested in a sports psychology coach to work with you or your team, sign up for a free call with me on my website, or you can click the link in the description so we can discuss details. Enjoy. Scott, so good to see you again. I am so excited for this episode because... This is the first one that we really have the person who is wearing the main hat as a coach, not really a sports psychology consultant. So this is going to be a really fun episode to get into really just coaching baseball. And a lot of this is going to be general coaching stuff and how it intersects with sports psychology. But uh, yeah, great to see you. And I just want to kick this off with the first question of why is training a mental game important in baseball? Well, Gabe, it's great to see you um, and, and excited uh, to be on the podcast. Thanks so much. So it, it's there's so much access to physical tools right now for, for players in any sport, any genre, individual, team, whatever it is, from video to timing mechanisms to data analytics. Um, there's just so much access to physical data that it's overpowering some of the mental um, processes that we need to do. Um, and, and so having, you know, a so-called mental toolbox uh, is, is important. And it's one of the things that's going to set you apart because we do have access to all these physical um, applications and things that we can do. Um, the mental piece now, because you can be bigger, faster, stronger, have more ideas on your physical capabilities um, but then still honing those mental capabilities for the times when it matters um, is still a key and it's getting left by the wayside a little bit. Um, and so ha having that toolbox is important, um, you know, and it's what really sets you apart, um, you know, from that physical world into actual performance. Like you said, um, with the physical part, you can be big and strong and fast, but when it comes down to the high pressure moments, which there are so many in baseball, uh, I think you're as good as your weakest link. And a lot of times these players might be as good as their mind lets them and their mind not be, they might not be mentally strong, which allows that stress response to kind of overshadow all those strengths and capabilities that they do have. So yeah, I think it's a great point of you might have so many great things about your physical 
prowess, but the mental side is not going to let those shine. So training the mental side in baseball, I think baseball is just that and maybe golf, I think are my two examples of like, how can you not value the mental side in these sports? It is so clearly you are in your head for so much time that is going to have a big impact on your performance. Yeah. And what do you think of toughness? That's a word that you've heard a lot in every sport. You got to be tough. You got to be tough. Well, toughness is mental, Um, you know, and so having that, you know, and I don't think people have have connected the dots to that. I think a lot of people see toughness as bowling you over and, you know, running, running over you. But no, toughness is mental, being prepared in those moments. Um, and I, I think that's a key, um, you know, to, to build off what you were just saying right there, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about mental toughness for a second. So I kind of think of it as a mentally tough athlete just has a lot of different tools in their mental toolbox and they are resilient. So they are strong in the face of adversity. But what do you think of when you think of this athlete is mentally tough? Or maybe you can also speak about the signs of a mentally weak athlete. You know, I have a saying, you know, especially in baseball, it's not how you play, it's when you play. Um, because there are there are times in baseball, of course, you want to get everybody out and you want to, you know, you don't want to give up a hit, but, but you're going to give up hits, you're going to give up things. And so, um, but when some of those things occur matter like you know we we don't want to walk the leadoff batter you know that's you know that's a no-no that you you hear about all the time um and, and so you know that's a point coming out of the dugout coming out of the inning you need to be prepared to start throwing strikes right from the get-go um or or same thing hey two outs runner on third base that's a time that i you know i can't afford to make an error because a you know, ground ball to me at shortstop and i make an error it scores a run um, so there are times that matter most uh, or matter more than than others in in all kinds of sports and in, in those situations and scenarios. So, um, you know, having that the ability to perform under those situations that are a little bit more stressful than the normal game, um, you know, under two minutes on the clock in basketball or football or, you know, in the bottom of the ninth inning, um, seeing some of those things when you see perf- people when you see performance in those positions in whatever sport um, you have somebody that's as we've been talking to has a toolbox of something that they can call upon to help them perform during those moments. I like to use concrete examples to kind of be a vessel for learning about all this stuff in sports psychology. So I don't want to use pitching because there's really just one, maybe a couple pitchers per game, but batting is such a great example because it's still high stress. And a lot of people go through, go through this and they have their own routines. It's very, it's a great opportunity to make use of the mental side. So maybe you can talk about anything you've noticed. I'm sure you can think of players you've coached that are mentally strong and mentally weak. Maybe you can speak to very specific signs of what they do or what they might be thinking that allows you to, to witness and look at these players and be like, I want that guy to be the guy that when we need, when we're in the pressure cooker and i don't want this player because i think he doesn't have the the mental side down uh is there anything that you can kind of pinpoint in those areas yeah and it's one of one of my big things in coaching uh especially in coaching baseball um being process oriented and the way i like to describe it is that what does it take for me to be successful so if i understand what especially as a hitter you know when we're talking hitting for sure 100% this is the top of the the mountain for 
for, for hitting, what does it take for me to be successful? If I can hone in on that and understand when I make an out, you know, Hey, I, I hit a deep fly ball. I got under it a little bit, but I still struck it. Well, it wasn't the swing. I just missed it a little bit. Um, and that's, that's baseball, but I need to understand that the process was correct. Um, my swing was good. I just mistimed it a little bit. Um, so if I go up there and take the same swing and get a little bit better timing, I'm going to have a better result. So that's the thing that we try, especially with hitters, to get them back focused on the process. What does it take for me to be successful? And I think that's a baseball thing as well. You can uh, apply it to everything, um, you know, pitchers and hitters and infielders and, and all that stuff. Um but especially in hitting when, you know, it, it, I get to hit three out of 10 times, I'm going to the hall of fame, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, so what does it take for me to be successful? If we stick to that process, I think that's uh, that that's a key. And then that helps you decipher between, you know, that gives you a coachable moment because the mental part of the game is so tough to coach as a, as a coach. Um, because there's not there's not an attribute that we can give them. Hey, move your hands here, or do this, or do that. Um, and so, when we can talk about what does it take for me to be successful, they have they've honed their swing to where it's a good, efficient swing. Um, then that gives us a process to start with to to go. Okay, hey, you failed, but but the swing was good. Um, you know, you were fine. Understand, you got to get your timing better. Um, and so that gives us a snippet into the mental side of things, something them, something tangible for them to grasp um, and, and, and apply, you know, marry the two and, 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 and help them, you know, make an adjustment. Yeah. So many good nuggets there. And what I really hear is objective thinking versus subjective. And the objective athlete is thinking about that process of like, okay, I see the outcome, but I'm also looking at the ingredients that led up to the outcome. Okay. The ingredients, the process, it wasn't too bad. Like if I do, basically that again, just make a couple tweaks here. I'm going to succeed. Yeah. And the subject, the subjective athlete is more emotional where they're only looking at that outcome and they're thinking I got to change everything. Or they are just thinking about stuff that is completely irrelevant at this point where they're worried about what their coach and teammates thinking. They're thinking about the ramifications for their career or this game. If they lose, it's not on that process based part. They're not thinking objectively. So that is a common denominator. I would say amongst all mentally strong athletes. Yep, I think this is a perfect segue. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead on you because um, what you're saying is the the stigma with mental training is dealing with the subjective and the objective. I think you know because everybody wants results. They want to see results. They want to impress their teammates. They want to impress coaches if they're trying to to get recruited or drafted or different things like that. Um, and so that stigma that comes along with that um, becomes a barrier sometimes for from them wanting to utilize these types of mental tools. Um, you know, we, we talked about toughness and how toughness is perceived as, you know, rah, you know, no, it's, you know, it, it, it's more than that. Um, and that, that's when we can draw in the how it's not how you play, it's when you play and, and those types of things. It gets, um, it really is a big part of the stigma of, of, you know, athletes especially younger athletes i don't think this deals with the super high level pro athletes i think this deals with the 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 more average athlete that's a good you know a good college baseball player but he's not playing at division one level or a good you know college soccer player but he's not at you know ucla or, or whatever um it's those you know those good players um that 
you know, but they're not the elite athlete. The elite athlete has just some different quirks to them as well, I think, um, and some different access as well that, that makes it easier for them to adjust to some of these concepts. Whereas um, I think the average athlete hasn't been exposed and, you know, then they think, oh gosh, there's something wrong with me. I need, you know, I need mental skills training. What do you mean? I'm, I'm good. You know, so I think that's part of the stigma of it all too. Yeah. And I think, like you said, the access is very important when these pros, they have multiple mm-hmm. sports psychology coaches a door away they can easily just pop in they don't have to go through that much effort and they're being forced into these group meetings where they're learning about this stuff on their own whereas the average athlete might not be they not might not know what this is really about and so in the imagination of what sports psychology is that stigma gets even more powerful and more of an obstacle but i want to ask you maybe about the college age athletes because you've been coaching at chapman college for a long time now and so that's the 18 to 22 year old Mm -hmm. window mostly Tell me about any stigma you see in those athletes. Is it kind of all over the place or is it more consistently? Are they appreciative of the mental side or is, or is there still work to be done? I mean, I I definitely still think there's work to be done, um, especially on the access side of things. You know, like when you worked with us, we were, we were trying to find, you know, we were trying to get access and um, you were a great resource, you know, for, for us to, you know, to, to put it in front of them. Um, And so that's, you know, that's a, a, a big piece um, for this. And there's some financial in- implications on that. Not everybody has the finances to be able to to do that as well. So, um, but I think it is something that they're craving now, because uh, as we talked about, there's, there's so much physical data and so much physical training. We as coaches now, especially in baseball, um, I get players that come into our program more physically and fundamentally baseball ready than they've ever been. And that's because they've used the money, the finances to hire a personal pitching coach, a personal hitting coach, a personal defensive coach, a personal strength trainer, um, all of those things. Um, And so they are more physically capable um, and more fundamentally sound that I don't have to teach as, as much fundamentals as I used to, because they're coming to me more fundamentally sound. What we've found, um, especially over the last, especially since I've been at Chapman the last 10 years is yes, they're coming to us more physically sound. Um, but the, the, they're not mentally ready. They're not mentally ready for the important parts of the game of baseball, moving runners, um, you know, driving in or, you know, uh, a runner from third with a sacrifice fly, you know, those types of things that, you know, aren't sexy, you know, they're not average and I'm not hitting home runs and, you know, I'm not getting all the statistics, but it's the things that help us win baseball games. Um, and so it's really having to reinforce those things in the game of baseball, especially um, about, again, do you, talking process again, what does it take for us to be successful? And part of it is you have to be mentally prepared in these situations to perform. Is there a certain thing you say to these players? And maybe this would be even more relevant for younger players that have less motivation to train the mental side, but is there a way that you kind of convince them and be like, Hey, help them see the importance of training the mental side, because uh, clearly they're, they might be a bit lopsided in what they've been training before that. Yeah, no, and and we we do it during practice. I mean, we do a lot of live action practice. 
you know, putting him, putting them in those situations um, and, and helping them make decisions. That's one of my, our program's core values is make a decision um, because making a decision is a hundred percent uh, making a wrong decision is a hundred times better than making no decision at all. Cause we can, again, we can coach the wrong decision. We can't coach no decision. There's no, there's no, Hey, like I said, move your hands here, you know, put, you didn't, you know, put your hands out so you can feel the ground ball better. Um, there's no coaching, no decision. Um, we can help you with the understanding and try and get the tools there. Uh, but there's really a limited uh, amount of information that we can give when you can't make a decision. And so, um, you know, and that comes all, you know, that goes all into the the mental realm. If they, if they don't have, a background of having any, you know, um, you know, tools, you know, in their toolbox again, then, you know, it, it's tough. They're going to be, you know, you've heard the saying five o'clock hitters. He's a five o'clock boy. He really hits during BP, but he can't hit during the game because uh, he, he can't make the adjustments and do the things under pressure. Going back to that mental game toolbox, is there something, a certain tool or maybe just a mindset that you would want all of your players coming onto your team to have on the sports psychology side of if they can all, they can all have this one thing. If I can snap my fingers, they had this as part of their mental game. Is there something that comes to mind as maybe most important? Well, there's something in it. it, I I think it, it goes in conjunction, you know, effort. Um, You know, I mean, that's more of a physical thing, but there's mental effort in there. Um, and, and just that willingness to put in the effort, you know, to be prepared, um, learn, um, because that's lots of times the things that hold them back, even on the mental side, they don't want to put in the effort. Um, um, you know, they, they think it's below them. They're not ready for it, whatever it might be. Um, and so in baseball, the only thing I ask of any of our players is give me your effort, you know, play hard. If you do that, we can, we can work through the rest. And I think that goes into the mental aspects as well. You know, listen, um, you know, give me the, the, the effort and the attention um, to learn. I, I talk a lot, um, especially we've got a little bit younger group this year. I talk about why the reason why, um, I want you to understand why I am telling you this. I'm not coaching you to dictate you and say uh, you need to understand why, because that's how you make adjustments. Um, and that why I think definitely crosses over and, you know, helps them into the mental stage. Okay. I understand now I can, you know, process. Okay. I understand why I'm doing this. And even if you don't agree with it a little bit, that's okay. Cause there might be more than one ways, you know, more than one way to do a few things. But at least you can understand our why Um, we could discuss it, you know, we could make adjustments um, and and then go from there. So that was a long way around. But I I, I think, you know, if they put in the effort uh, in in sports, I think that 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 carries both physical and mental. Yeah, the effort is something that's always within your control, which is always great to be focused on something that you can't control, because if you're not focus on something out of your control and that leads to some frustration, anxiety. But, um, at the same time, that why that you were talking about, 
feeds into motivation, specifically intrinsic, internal motivation. And that leads to more effort because if you're more motivated, you're more willing to put in the work on and off the field. So uh, yeah, definitely a lot of different things that were connected that you're kind of talked about there. Yeah. So I think it makes total sense that the effort, it's great to have that as a foundation. And then a lot of good stuff can can be a byproduct of effort yep. and especially um, a motivation and willingness to learn. And, and also you, you mentioned not thinking of certain things of training below them, that humility piece of having something to learn from this sports psych coach or, or anybody else that might come in, I think is a, is really important and definitely a sign of maturity as mm -hmm. athletes get more humble and understand they have something to learn from everybody. They don't, even if they're at the top of their game, top of their league, uh, they, they're still lifelong learners is what athletes really are. And control was awesome because that's part of my saying. Uh, when I when I talk to him about effort, I say, look, the only thing you can control in the game of baseball is how hard you play, period, exclamation point. You know, mm -hmm. because you've, you've, we've had pitchers that throw great pitches and it still gets dunked into the outfield for a hit. Or you've had hitters that have absolutely scorched the ball and it goes right at the shortstop and they're out. So you could do everything right uh, but you still have a negative consequence. And baseball is definitely the 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 sport that has the most of that. You know, if you if you put up a good shot in the NBA, you know, it's going in 50 percent of the time. You know, um, if you you know, if you're big, strong in, in the NFL, you're going to just bowl people over. Um, but baseball is definitely the sport where um, you know, you could do everything right and you have a negative outcome you know, more often than not in a lot of things, especially as a hitter. Yeah. I want to talk about control a bit more because I've been playing with this new concept that I don't really see talked about that much when we talk about control. And that's a lot of people talk about, okay, something, the subject of a thought is either something that I can control. So, or, or I can't control. So the outcome of the game, oh, I can't control that. Right. A lot of different factors my attitude, my preparation, my effort, that is, those are all things I can control. Nobody can take that away from me. But I think there's a gray area in the middle that people don't talk enough about. And that is something that's influenceable. And I actually want to take it back to the outcome of a game. There is no way a player can really look at the outcome of a game and say, I have direct control over this. There's so many other factors that are relevant there that they can't say that. That's right. just, that's ludicrous. However, I also think that they are a factor. It's 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 unfair to say that they are not a factor in the outcome of the game. They can actually, especially if they're a star player, I mean, they have a big say. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to understand when you're thinking about something that's, yeah, it's not in my control directly, but it's also not something that I just want to shut out completely because it's important to me. I actually have a say in this. This is something that I can be a factor in and contribute toward. What ends up happening is, if you can identify that subject, that thought is something that's okay. It's in the gray area. What you do is you, you let go of saying, okay, I do not have direct control over this, but I do have a say I can contribute. And guess what? You just come back to when you, when you recognize that you go back to what you control to create that outcome that you want. So I think it's, it, it can just create tension in players' minds when they have these intrusive thoughts and they keep saying, no, I can't control that, but it's, but it's hard to detach from those thoughts and it keeps coming back up. And I think it's easier for athletes to let go of those intrusive thoughts when they understand, when they give that realistic approach to it and say, okay, I do have a say in this, but I am not being humble enough. I do not, this is not in my direct control. I am not, there are so many other people and forces at play here. So what can I do to contribute most effectively? 
So that's kind of my my soapbox on oh, control. I'm totally stealing it. I'm totally because I have a piece for it. Um, uh, what we talk about in our program, um, one of our pillars, um, we kind of I, I built a I built a pyramid. Uh, my, myself and one of my former assistants when I was at the University of Redlands, um, we we built a, a pyramid off John Wooden's pyramid of, of success, and it's about how to control the game of baseball. What what influences we need um, to continue about controlling momentum really is what it is. Um, But one of the pieces, one of the big pieces is called recover. Um, So there's your gray area that I can have an influence on changing. I'm totally stealing it. Uh, It's going to, you know, it's going to be a new, because these guys have heard me say recover for 10 years now. So now I can change it. Can you explain more about what you mean by recover and how it may be, it may be related to this influence component? Yep. Yep. And so um, we're talking about the outcome of a game, right? Um, And so we have an impact as players of the game. Um, So Hey, something bad happens for us. We we do walk the leadoff guy, okay? So then our mindset goes to, okay, I have an influence. I can, you know, this is what's happened, but now I have to influence this game in another way. And the term recover meaning, okay, well, let's get a ground ball and get a double play. So in essence, if I get a ground ball and a double play, I've wiped away that mistake. Got it. Um, you know, and so, or, you know, you get a runner gets to third with less than two outs. Okay. You know, I know that a ground ball or a fly ball can score them, but you know what? I can recover by getting a strikeout, you know? And so I wipe away um, that play and have those small influences that add up um, to, and I think I have never thought about it that way, but I love the way that you put that in control. Cause that is the, the gray area or the small, um, the small portions that can make a difference um, in that. And so in that thought of recovering and, and that can happen, Hey, we go down and take a bad shot, you know, in, in, in a basketball game. Okay, great. Well, let's, 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 you know, bear down and play defense. Um, you know, I, I think you have those in, in every sport, those opportunities where you can, where you can recover um, and, and have a small change within a small window of the game. And why that's so important is because think about how overwhelming it is for these athletes when they don't think about the small thing, that next shot, their next opportunity, and they think about it on a big scale. That big scale is anxiety inducing and that lowers confidence. You have less optimism and hope. So when you can, it's like chunking it in a race and you're focusing on the next 800 meters, not the next eight miles, you're going to feel a bit more like I can do this. So yeah, I think that's, there's so many ways to do this. I love, that's why yeah. I love sports. And, and I think, and I yeah. think it gives them uh, you, you made a great point. It gives them the next step um, instead of, instead of dwelling on the bad that just happened, it gives them the next step to fix it. You know? Exactly. Um, and so it hopefully flips that mindset a little bit going, okay, you know, I walked the guy, you know, darn it. Okay. Now let's get a grumble. Okay. And I got the next, I got the next task at hand. Yeah, learning to be aware of thoughts that are not as manageable and then changing them to what is more manageable is really what we're talking about is because yeah. uh, that's just when the confidence goes up and thinks, okay, it's also something easier to focus on. So yeah, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we talked about control. There's there's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, uh, I want to move on to consistency. Yeah. Is there a way that you help players be consistent? Because one, one complaint I hear about a lot of athletes that I work with is they want to be more consistent. They want to perform near their potential on a more consistent basis. And I am a firm believer that it's not a physical thing that leads to athletes not consistently performing. 
near their potential. It's the mental side that is the weakest link bringing down their performances randomly. So maybe you can talk about how you can reinforce and train consistency. Um, the, the first step is being process oriented, like we were talking about before, really giving them that, um, that stable piece to continue to go back to what does it take for me to be successful in everything, in the weight room, in the classroom, um, in time management, all of those things, what do I need to be successful? Um, so it, it starts there with those tangible items that we can use, you know, to, to go back to and, and, um, and have a thought of what the next step might be as, as opposed to just wallowing in the, the, I don't know, which we can, we can get caught in that mental, that mental tornado real fast. And that's a big predictor of inconsistency when you yeah. keep getting caught in the mental tornado. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, so starting there, um, but then it's especially recently too is reminding them of sleep proper eating um all of those things that that take a toll on our body um you know if our if our body is waning um you know it's it's going to affect us mentally um um how we how we practice um you know i think you know i mean when i started coaching 25 years ago if i had three hours of practice time i'm using three hours of practice time i got you know let's go let's do it um, but we play, you know, 40 games over five months. That's a long time. If we're trying to, you know, keep ourselves physically, um, fit and strong throughout the course of the year. Um, I started to realize that I, I can't just wear them out because then that's going to start tearing on their mental capacity as well. Um, and so, um, you know, we started to change things to go, well, you know, as the season goes on, our practices get shorter. Um, we don't have to quite review as much review doesn't take as long because we've been doing it for months at a time. Um, so really reading some of those things. So some of it comes to the definition of coach, you know, being, Hey, we're the ones that are supposed to lead and are supposed to fix things when they go wrong. Right. Because if things are going right, what do we do as coaches? Hey, Tommy, way to go, big fella. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and so, um, so reading those things and, and continuing to put them um, in in positive situations, um, you know, I think are some of the ways that we try and control the consistency, you know, keeping them healthy, keeping them um, strong, motivated, um, excited about being at the at the field, you know, not just oh, go to practice today, you know, um, you know, so try and do those things to to, to keep it lively and you know, most of our practices towards the end of the year, they're just mostly kind of live situations. You know, we've gone through things. We just can, we kind of put everybody in those situations and remind them of the, maybe the few things that we need to do um, adjustments, maybe physical adjustments, whether it's on a play or a bunt defense or something like that. We can adjust that. I like that you mentioned a lot of the lifestyle components around consistency, because it, I mean, common sense tells you that what you do every day is going to determine how consistent you are on in your games. And I think sleep, especially, but also just what you eat, what you're doing to prepare for practice after practice, just on a consistent basis, what you're doing is going to impact your, your performances on a consistent basis. But I want to ask, do you ever find trouble in reinforcing especially the lifestyle things with college age athletes when they are not necessarily about the healthy living 
Great question. Um, yes, uh, is is definitely the answer. And it comes with some understanding of where they're at in their in their lives. Um, you know, being 18 to 22 in, in college, you know, there are certain things that that they're going to do as as college age kids. Um, and so I think getting in front of those things, helping them know that that we understand that that we were there, um, that they're going to be you know, positive influences on some of these things. And there might be negative influences based on what your choices are. Um, and those could affect how you play, um, how you do in school, those types of things. Um, so reminding them. And then for me, it's just being a, a constant resource for them, especially the younger ones, the freshmen and sophomores. You know, I try and every couple of weeks or at least every month, Hey, Tommy, how you doing? You know, how are classes going? Um, you feeling okay? You know, just how's life in the dorms? You know, um, just asking them the question, even if they lie to me and say everything's okay, or, you know, they don't want to tell me the whole truth or whatever, but just them knowing that, you know, that I'm asking the question, um, I, I think gives them some solace and, and, and having a, a place that they know they can go because especially me as the head coach, um, boy, I can be intimidating. I go, you know, gosh, I don't know. Coach Lab, I don't, I don't want to go to him with this, but if I ask the question, then maybe they won't talk to me, but maybe they'll talk to one of our assistants um, and, and, and get them going. So. I also think you're opening the door for them to come up to you when they might've not been comfortable beforehand, because you're showing that this is something that you find important. And yep. you're not there to just talk about baseball. You're talk. You're there to talk about these people yep. as humans, not just as ball players. So, um, and I think that's just a sign of a great coach because it's no, there's no question that the coach athlete relationship is insanely important. And yep. I mean, I hear about the nightmare stories that were way more common back in the day, but they're still around where these coaches just don't talk about anything other than their sport. And it's especially frustrating and sad when when a player gets injured and then the coach is like, all right, I don't need to talk to this person until they're healed yeah. up. I mean, it's just so backwards. So yeah. I think there's a lot of good stuff there in kind of developing that coach athlete relationship to maybe be a like prehab or proactive approach to their lifestyle and kind of managing how it is and maybe even like keeping tabs on it and hoping and um, yeah, monitoring to make sure they're, they're okay. They're not going off the deep end. And And I think that's one of the, important influencers of educators i don't care if you're teaching you know math or english or or a sport um the reason that most of us retire is because what is going on at the current time is is not what we want to continue to do does that make sense Uh, you know as far as like we have to adjust in the baseball world. I have to adjust as a coach. I don't coach the same way I did 25 years ago. Um, if I tried to coach the way I did 25 years ago, um, I wouldn't be as easily received by this current group of, of 18 to 22 year olds. They're not going to respond to those things. And so I think we have to adjust to those in anything, whether you're teaching English or anything, you have to adjust to, um, you know, to, to what what they want let's talk about fear of failure which is if i had to guess it's one of the biggest things that people come to me wanting to manage 
And I think the opposite of this fear of failure or what goes hand in hand with this is self-doubt. And then again, the opposite of this is confidence. So this is a really, so I think it's just like a hot, uh, hot button topic that we can talk about here. And I want to talk about, maybe we can use like a case study as like a way to talk about this and thinking about a player that you have imaginary. Um, we can just call him John, who mm-hmm. is clearly dealing with this obstacle of fear of failure. They, they are too afraid of failing that they're not performing up to their potential. I want to talk about how you can help this player in a proactive way and then what you can do in a game when you can see them struggling or maybe they come up to you and uh, confess that they are afraid of letting the team down, all this stuff. So what what comes to mind in how you help players manage this fear just kind of maybe in the the preseason and in practices so you're not even in a game-like setting? Is there any way that you can start tackling this obstacle before it even comes up in a game? Well, yeah, first is mechanical, you know, pieces of whatever they're doing, their swing, their pitching mechanics, their fielding mechanics, wherever that fear or that lack of performance is coming from, dealing with those mechanical issues, Um, you know, whether it's, you know, John is just struggling throwing strikes, you know, and, and there could be a mechanical thing in there that we can work on to help him, you know, get get in the strike zone or same thing with his swing. Um, that is that quite honestly can be the biggest barometer because let's say let's face it if you're if you're feeling good and you're having success well then that fear you know again that goes to the confidence piece that you're talking about right there so um so starting with that mechanical piece of going okay there's is there something within your mechanics um, of your swing or your pitching mechanics that that we can fix and you might ask them if you see this in them or they or John comes up to you kind of talking about their fear of failure, you might ask them, what are you afraid of in your game that you don't feel confident about? And then we're we're building the awareness of, OK, what is the what is a big impact factor for this fear of failure? And then this is this is all solution focused thinking We're we're getting at the real heart of the problem. And then we're thinking about how we can solve or manage. Yeah. So, yeah, this is this is excellent, I think. Yeah. And that's where, you know, some of these analytics, all these analytics, video, all these things that we have at our fingertips now where we can go back and, you know, what, you know, you ask the question, John, what's, you know, what are you afraid of? What do you think you're not doing well right now? Ah, my coach, my slider, it just hasn't been sharp. Okay. Well, let's go back and look at the video. Let's look at the spin rate. Let's look at the horizontal plane, the differences, what's going on. Okay. Well, now we see in the, in the video from here to here, you know, you're, you're, elbows up a little bit more or, you know, uh, your your hands are on top of the ball a little bit more. Now we can go to a physical attribute to help them overcome that. Um, and, and again, gaining confidence, as I think, is the, the first and the best step to overcome those mental blocks that they might have. Yeah, I think the mechanics is so important because it, again, anchors you to focus on something that you, again, feel more optimism in thinking, okay, this is going to make a great impact on my game as opposed to just having that nebulous doubt in your head of not really knowing what to do. And that just creates even more doubts and anxiety. So let's, let's talk about the emotional side in a proactive approach. So again, we just talked about kind of solution focus, like, all right, let's talk about the reasons for your fear or failure on the physical side. But if, if it's clear that you're like, what, this guy's afraid of failing. He's so, he's one of our best players. Like, why is he so afraid? He has a great track record. It's clearly on the emotional side. Is there any, do you have any go-to methods of helping a player through that? So, yeah, it's, 
I'm not going to say it's a go-to method because I think it would come off the wrong way, but I think we have a tool as coaches in, in any sport. Um, and it, it might sound harsh, but it's the bench. You know, maybe I need to pull you out for a game, um, you know, and and let you relax a little bit. Now, I think there's two ways to do it. Um, if we get to a point where somebody is just not performing for us as the team, us as the coach, as the coaches, we have to come to a point where we're going, gosh, John, you know, you've, you've, you've had three starts and each of the last three starts, you haven't gotten out of the third inning. You know, I, I need to make a little bit of a change here for the team. Okay. Um, and so I need to change that up for you. And and so that's kind of like I said, what the bench kind of does. Sometimes it just, they just need to sit down for a second Um reevaluate but then the important thing is that they need to know that it's not throw you on the bench and put the next guy in our job as coach is now to do what we were just talking about go through the tools to try and fix you mechanically and, and those types of things to give you the confidence now to get back to where you were before because obviously if you were starting baseball games for us on the mound we you were doing something right you know, so now it's getting you back. So I think that step back, let's call it a step back, you know, yeah. taking a step back and, and you see coaches do it all the time. Hey, let's get them off the court. You know, let's let them sit for five minutes and we'll get them back in the game, you know, let them reboot, um, you know, those types of things. I think um, those are keys, but within that reboot needs to be a, um, a, a positive comment or, or, or something from us as coaches to go, okay, look, just reset, you know, maybe there's a couple of, of informational physical pieces, do do X, Y, and Z, and now we're going to get you back on the court. Reinstating the hope that yeah. might've been crushed by them or in them that was a result of the benching and saying, Hey, this isn't yeah. a permanent, or we're still like, we're still on your side. We're not, yeah. we're not forgetting about you. Yeah. Uh, what about, what about if they don't have a track record and they, there isn't really many reasons for them to fear this failure so much, but they are because maybe it's just they're showing what they value or they're showing their mental game. Um, and maybe we can talk about this in the context of a game. And it might almost be more accurate if John's a batter and he's, and he's about to go on deck and he turns to you and says, coach, I'm really nervous for this one because you can see that the context of the game is pretty big. Yeah. So um, we're going to try and go to, you know, what needs to be done. So I think in those instances, again, like you said, giving them a concrete um, piece of information. Okay, um, I know you're nervous. It's runner on third, less than two outs. So remember, ground ball can score a, a runner. In, you know, the infield's back. So ground ball to shortstop or second baseman or a fly ball. So remember the tools that we use. We want something. We're looking for something up, you know, in the zone, something that we can drive to the outfield or hit hard up the middle of the field. So trying to give them those tools and see how they react. Because then if they can use utilize that, overcome a little bit of that doubt, utilize the tools that you've given them, um, then that's what's going to want warrant you giving them another opportunity, you know, down the road, if it's this new player, right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if they don't, if they, they, if they can't use that, well, then that's probably not the guy you go to to pinch hit yet. It doesn't mean that they're done, but that's just what you have seen that they have at this point in time. Um, and that's something that now you need to try and help coach them outside of, of the game. What I hear a lot in this conversation is 
improving their the quality of their focus and their focus when it's on when they're in their own the mental tornado that you mentioned earlier yeah, in yeah. this fear of failure they're they're definitely i don't think they're thinking about all those different things you mentioned that are go into the ingredients of a hit or what you need in an outcome so it's and and a lot of players need anchors like this and until they're mentally strong it's hard to do it on their own which is why it's important for coaches to be able to have anchors ready and yeah. help these athletes manage that focus that is on something irrelevant or emotionally charged and bring them back to something that's manageable, something that they have done a lot in their career. And again, this is another way to just lower this fear. It's not, it's not going to eliminate it. We're, we're never going to do that. They're never going to walk away from a conversation and go, yeah. all right, yeah, I'm stoked to go do this. It's like, no, no, there, there's going to be nerves, but it's a way to manage. And that's, that's really what we can do to help these athletes. Yeah. What is your style of giving feedback? Do you feel like you have a kind of consistent style or does it change based on the player, the context? I think it's old age. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I've always been a positive person, even in my younger days when I was, you know, maybe a little more aggressive, um, you know, but I'm definitely trying to be more calm and positive and, and reassuring. Um but honest. I think that is the, the, the key. Um, you know, bad news can be delivered in a positive voice as well, you know, um, and, you know, I, they need to hear it sometimes, um, you know, because I think especially this generation of athletes has had so many things catered to them, so many opportunities where everybody plays, nobody gets cut, you know, and, and, and so, those tough times of not making a team or, you know, not being able to play, um, you know, they haven't grown up with that. And so they're not used to hearing, you know, those, those tough conversations. And especially if you attack those tough conversations with, you know, a, a boisterous attitude or voice or loud voice or whatever, um, they're going to shut down. That's uh, it's definitely at least a trait that I see. Um, and, and so understanding that's one of the adjustments, like I said, that we as as coaches have to make, you know, especially as we get older and, and the more years that we coach, um, things are going to change. Um, and so, uh, you know, being positive, but honest. Mm -hmm. How would you say players generally react to feedback that is negative in nature but it's out of it's out of honesty and authenticity with a positive tone uh do you do you still find even with all those because it sounds like it doesn't get much better than that you're doing you're getting the message across that needs to be sent but you're doing it in a positive healthy way yeah. do you find many if at all players still recoiling from that and not react not taking that feedback well um not um and it's one of the things that I hope that I encourage as well is that, I, Hey, challenge me, you know, tell me what you're thinking. You know, we're not yelling at each other. Tell me what you think. Um, and so I hope I foster that. Um, and so I've seen more of that going, well, coach, gosh, I, I just really don't agree. I think I'm, I'm better than, you know, than what you think. And I'm, I'm doing this and that. And, 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 you know, I can say, well, okay, John, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. I just haven't quite seen it yet. But then that gives them something to work towards. They've got now we've turned it concrete again, you know, okay, okay, well, I don't agree with Coach Laverty, but 
I know what he thinks. And now I have something concrete, you know, that to, to work on that I can go to him next. Hey, coach, Lafferty, I'm improving on this. Why am I not getting opportunities? Um, and, and so, um, you know, so encouraging that, that atmosphere, Hey, tell me what you think. Let's be honest. If I'm going to be honest, you can be honest with me too. Mm-hmm. Why I love this respect component of feedback is because imagine if one, there wasn't respect, it's going to be more volatile and it's going to be more frustrating where there's not going to be much improvement at the end of the day. But you can also think of if you didn't have this conversation and you let this this disagreement where both parties are not really seeing the situation for what it is, you and John, if that bubbles up and you don't talk about this as opposed to three games into the season, but you wait 20 games into really having conversation about this, when you keep those emotions in and it's bubbling up, it's going to be a lot more intense for no reason, like no good reason. And it's not, there's not going to be as much good to come from it. So uh, having that respect and that initiative to have those conversations early on is a very important takeaway. And, and I feedback. Think that's a key piece initiative, because like you said, I like John, John's a good kid. John, you know, likes me. He thinks I'm, you know, I, I'm a good coach and I, and, I, and I work hard for them, but we have a disagreement, you know, and so we have to, we have to talk about it. We can't let it simmer. Um, and so taking the initiative um, to do it on both sides, whether it's, you know, player or coach. I want to ask about how you and the other coaches build a healthy winning culture. So there is just, so much that you can take with that question in different ways you can go with this. Um, what comes to mind first? So for us, um, one of the terms I use is like-minded student athletes. Okay. Cause I am dealing with the student athlete, um, you know, kids that are coming to get an education and that's part of their um, you know, the, the reason that they're, they're at Chapman university. Um, but it's not the only reason. And so why I mean like-minded is I don't want, um, you know, players to come to Chapman and, and it's school and then baseball is way down here. I'm just, you know, playing baseball. No, baseball is important too. Um, and I talk about that we can have success at both um, because what we do is we manage our time accordingly. This just, just like life. This is a life lesson that there are times when one is more important than the other. So as a student athlete, um, yeah, I'm coming up on, we've had midterms this week. Uh, a bunch of our guys had midterms. So I, uh, I had two or three guys that left practice early last night because, Hey, you got your stuff done. Get out of here. Um, you know, go, go get some extra studying done for your midterms today. Um, and you know, so doesn't mean they're not practicing. Doesn't mean they're not doing the things that they need to do baseball wise, but it means they're spending their extra time on their studies. Well, then next week, they're not going to have any homework yet. So now if they want to stay and get more video looks or whatever. Um, and so it's managing that balance between, Hey, okay, this week school's more important this week. Hey, I have more time. I can make baseball a priority. And again, that's life. Hey, boss says I got to stay late and work. And so I don't get to have dinner with the kids, you know, well, next hey, we did great. I get to go home early. I take the kids to the park and we go out to Chuck E. Cheese, you know? So, um, you know, so I think that's, that's part of some of the understanding is getting them there. Um, so those like-minded student athletes that want to be successful at both. Um, the next is good people. I mean, you want to surround yourself with, with good people. And that's one of the neat things about for us being able to recruit, because there's definitely players that I've seen the way they act and handle themselves that I just, no, nope, you're a good player, but you're not for us. I don't like the way you handle yourself. And, 
And, um, you know, so those are the first things of, of culture that you can do as a coach without even putting the guys in the same room or, you know, or on the same field yet. Uh, it's just bringing like-minded um, people and then building on all of these things. And like I said, one of our pillars is process. What we've talked about several times, what does it take for me to be successful in the classroom as a, as a, um, successful citizen of Chapman University, of, of Orange, California, of all of those things, of the United States of America, all of those things. Um, and, you know, getting those like-minded people together and then giving them the tools um, and then also some guidelines, you know, to, to help them move forward. I love that. What I would refer to it as managing the priorities so some days you can't deny that school is a priority when midterms yep. and finals are around the yep. corner, or if someone doesn't have the grades they need to compete, they that is becoming the priority. And why that's so important to shed light on is because I always say the stressed out athlete, whether it's stress coming from on the field or off the field, you're going to play worse. And so if a coach isn't recognizing that and being honest with, hey, these players are going to be more stressed out and overwhelmed if I don't allow them the space to prioritize school on some days yep. and they're going to be in a healthier mindset and competing. And then the other thing is the surrounding yourself with good people. Why that's so important is because I just love this tidbit of research and how your perceived social support network. So not even going to the actual people, but what you perceive as how many people you can go to. That is a more in that's a more effective predictor of how you can buffer the effects of stress just having people to go to. And if you have a team full of people that you respect, that you like, that you can trust, you're going to have a lot of different ways that you can manage and reduce the effects of stress from general day-to-day -day life, especially as a college student. And you can imagine when you have a team full of people that you don't trust, that you might not get along with only a couple people here and there, it's going to create a lot more stressors. So it's a really good proactive, again, way of creating a team from the beginning, that's going to lead to a healthy and winning culture. Yep. And leadership, there's, there's a, a thing there, um, you know, because one of the toughest things to do is to lead your peers, right? Because, um, you know, you don't want to be called out by your peers for doing something wrong. You know, you didn't run that, you know, you didn't run hard to first base. And if you had run hard, you might've been safe. And, um, the the most common response is well you didn't run hard yesterday you know um it, because you you want that respect from each other you like each other you might be best friends you know um and you really hang out but but you don't want them to think that of you so that our first thing is that defensive mechanism yeah. but if you open that up and have that common respect and now my best friend is telling me you know hey john you didn't run you didn't run hard you know if you ran um you know, we might've been safe, John. I, yep. You're right. You know, I made that mistake. I'll, I'll fix it. Um, it's easier for, for them to accept it and not be defensive about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, any, anytime we can help people not get super defensive at the, as a gut reaction to yeah. feedback in general yeah. is, I mean, it leads to mentally strong athletes when you're not getting defensive. Cause again, that goes back to subjective thinking. They're thinking about their ego, the emotions, yeah. whereas the objective athlete is going to say, yeah, he's probably right. I didn't run. Yeah. I could run harder. Yeah. And yeah, so that it just builds optimism. Yeah. I want to just close with a question of asking you open-endedly, what advice do you have to athletes in general? So, I mean, the first 
like I said, the only thing I talk to our, our, our baseball team about is the only thing you control in baseball is how hard you play. So effort, you know, is, is, is key um, in everything that you do in the classroom, um, you know, especially as, as students, um, but within your sport, um, you know, within your relationships, um, you know, you know, putting in, you know, effort is, is key and it's going to make a difference. I think if you, if you give a little effort into something, it, it's going to make a difference into, um, you know, the, the outcomes that, that could come out of a relationship, uh, um, an athletic career, uh, a class that you're taking, um, you know, whatever that might be. So, um, you know, putting a little effort into things goes a long way. And that effort could look different for so many people where it's not necessarily just effort in doing more ladders and sprints. It's effort in your preparation for practice in school. It's effort in still being diligent and journaling after your games to learn from, from it when it's fresh in your mind. And yeah, you can take this a million ways. And I'm sure everybody can find areas of their life where they can expend a bit more effort. So yeah, yeah, I think that's an important just kind of closing mark to leave with and um, kind of think about. So Scott, I can't thank you enough for doing this. This was an awesome first episode. That's really on coaching. Totally totally fun. That was a blast. Yeah. Thank you again for taking the time. If people wanted to reach out, where can they find you? Sure. They can, uh, you know, go to our Chapman website, um, uh, chapmanathletics.com. And uh, you can find all my contact info there. Love, happy to talk to anybody, answer any questions, shoot me an email. I'm happy to uh, always, uh, always help out. That's one of the the fun things because uh, you're always learning. That's another thing. I'm I'm still learning. I've been coaching for 25 years and I still want to learn. So, so absolutely. Awesome. Thanks again, Scott. All right. Thanks, Gabe. Stay up to date with the podcast by following the sports psychology of on your podcast platform and see short highlights from every episode on Instagram. If you want to start working on your mental game, Try out one-on-one sports psychology coaching with me, Gabe Zellico, by visiting my website, zellicoperformance.com, and schedule a free introductory call where we'll discuss your goals, obstacles to success, and determine if we'd be a good fit to move forward. You can also email me directly at gabriel at zellicoperformance.com regarding private coaching or the podcast. Links to social media, my website, and email are all in the description. Thank you for listening.